Read Me Romance? Help support our podcast and enter to win an end of summer video chat with your favorite lady DJs. It's the summer reading program. From now until September 1st, you can enter to win by sharing what you've read this summer and tag us. That's it. All you have to do is tag Read Me Romance on social media and we'll add your name into the drawing. Three lucky winners will get to video chat with the host of Read Me Romance to talk about books and answer all of your burning romance questions. We really appreciate your support, and I'll see you guys in just a second for Tessa Bailey's audiobook this week. Hey, lady listeners. Hey, what's up, lady DJs? What's up, what's up? How's it going? Coming at you live. Live. <laughs> we're not. We're not live. <laughs> <laughs> it's Tessa Bailey week. It's Tessa Bailey week, yeah. Oh, thank God. I was so excited <laughs> when I looked at the calendar to see whose week it was. I was like, oh, thank fuck. It really is an invitation I haven't to done, slack oh off. Oh, my God. It really... <laughs> And you know what? What's amazing is people think we have pressure on us on the other episodes. That's an episode with pressure. Like, that's how we perform under normal circumstances. <laughs> exactly the same as they're like, wow. I know. They're like, wow. They uh, they feel pressure on those other episodes? Cause wow. They, they really rise to the occasion. <laughs> yeah. They kind of just cash it in to me. <laughs> Uh, so yeah. tell us about Tessa Bailey. You want to read your bio? <laughs> no, you guys know everything about me. Uh, more, a lot more than is in my bio at this point. <laughs> we know what turns you on. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> what book do you have for us this week? So I brought a. So okay, about four, it's probably been like four years. I did an anthology with some group, uh, a group of authors in Entangled that was called like I don't know. Oh, Lovers Unmasked is what it was called. Ooh. And it was a Halloween anthology, and each of us wrote a book. That's really that hot. Yeah, that took place on Halloween. So we had to write a story that it would like it, it took place on Halloween and that and there had to be some sort of mistaken identity situation. So so this story, The Seven Year Itch, is about two best friends that live next door to each other. He is raising his little sister. She's like a curator at the library and kind of like a quiet, you know, nerdy type. So he loves her. They're like best friends, but he doesn't realize that she's been carrying a torch for him all these seven years. And then she ends they end up at the same masquerade party. She he's kind of there to like make sure his little sister doesn't do something crazy because she's she's insane. Yeah. And um, Jamie, who's the girl, is there um, because she I, I think she's there to like help him out. But he doesn't. But she goes in disguise, so he doesn't realize it's her. They end up hooking up, and. So when he thinks of this hookup, though, he keeps thinking of Jamie. Like, he's like, I he can't separate it. And he almost feels guilty about it. And then, anyways, it, it just goes from there. So you find out it's her. Oh, okay. Sorry, I spoiler. <laughs> yeah, no, eventually he does find out it's her. And anyways, it's it's a sexy good time. You guys will enjoy it. That sounds sweet. It actually didn't even end up in the anthology. Um, yeah, I know. It was weird. Like, my editor, I wrote it and I submitted it to her. And she's like, you know, it would be a good idea. To write a novella, a follow-up for Derek and Ginger, who were my first book. So, <laughs> so I was like, oh, cool. I already wrote the other one, but good idea. And sure. so um, I ended up, the the book that ended up being in the anthology was Protecting What's Theirs, which is the, mm-hmm. the follow-up novella. But this, so this one never really got released anywhere. So I figured might as well. Oh, yeah. yeah. What a great idea. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. 
Yeah. So this is brand new. It's brand new. Sort of. Yeah. And um, okay, so, okay, this is what I want to talk to you guys about before we move further. Last week, I told you about my personality test on the Enneagram. Yes. And then you got, and then you guys took your test. Yes. Okay. Mel took it right away. She was like, let me do before this. The, before the podcast broadcast <laughs> even ended, she had her results. I don't know when she was taking it. She was definitely taking when we were talking. Uh-huh. Yeah. So Mel, what did you, you ended up getting, which number? I think it was one. Yeah. Oh, okay. I, I didn't remember. So what was it that said? Do you, I don't even remember what the personality said, said. It said you enjoy rules. <laughs> it said, it, one of the things that it said that it, what was it something about you would rather choose? I have it here, actually. Like, oh, good. Give it to me. So you're a type one, Mel. It says that uh, you love making plans in advance, <laughs> doing the right thing, and supporting a cause. Uh, you are trustworthy, honest, sensible, and idealistic. Do not accuse or manipulate me. Do not forget to appreciate me and do not pressure me to do wrong. That's you. I like it. Do you think that's all true? Yeah, it's pretty spot on. Yeah, I think it's true. Like one of the things on there that I read when, when I was taking the questions, I remember reading, I was like, oh, that's Mel. And I got to remember which one it was now, but it was something about, would you choose, like, you choose to, like, work, but it, work gets in the way of you having fun times. And I was like, oh, that's definitely Mel. Like, she would rather work than, like, go do something fun, because she's like, oh, well, I have to do this. Instead of putting it off until later, she would just do work. This is crazy, but my, so my power went out. Oh, yeah. How did the, the lights ago. went out and... Was that well, hot? <laughs> That's a night that the lights went out on Long Island. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, so, her is like, was it Superstorm or Hurricane Isaias? I- I- Isaias, I think is how you pronounced it. Um, and it, yeah, it knocked our lights out and like in 90 degree weather. So, we had to lay here <sighs> in no air conditioning and, and just be and, miserable and, and hate each other. Our, our, our bedroom felt like a sarcophagus because <laughs> our neighbor was running his generator outside of our window all night. No. Yep. You're not even allowed to. The town asks you to close the, to turn them off at 10 p.m. But he he did he left it running all night, so we couldn't. So it was like a an, a lawnmower outside our window all night, and it was hot. Mm-hmm. It was hell. Anyways, it was only 24 hours, so it was, we got through it. <laughs> but um, I would have been miserable oh if God. I get hot. I'm. It's over. Yeah. So when my lights went out and I couldn't use my computer, like my power was out, mm-hmm. I went upstairs and it was like my brain went bloop. It like powered down, like because I couldn't work. Like I physically yeah, yeah. could not use my computer, and mm-hmm. my brain just shut down, and I fell asleep for like a full hour. It was like I was dead. It was like I was dead. <laughs> and I was like, I can't, I, I can't. I said, this is what it takes for me to rest. Yeah. Is that I actually have to have yeah. everything taken away from me. I have to, un- like, mm-hmm. you know, I have to have a storm come through. Man, y'all suck. Wait, so okay. Somebody's like, do you want the day off? I'm like, yes. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Like, I'll get up from this podcast right fucking now. I don't give a shit. Well, this is what like this is why I intentionally like I, I book a vacation for two full weeks uh during the summertime and I don't take my computer with me because it's the mm-hmm. only way I can like get get mental rest. Yeah. But, so like, I think it's go ahead. Oh sorry. You go. I was, I have to do everything because at the end of the night. If I haven't done everything that I was supposed to do, I feel like shit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm the same way. And I can't get to sleep. I'm the same way. I'm not. 
I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't know if it's like, do you think it's guilt? Like, what is it that makes you feel like shit? It's guilt. I will be like, you should have got that done. What are you doing? Are you being lazy? Come on. Wow. Would you ever really call yourself lazy? That's if so If I didn't hard. get my stuff done. That's so awful. <laughs> I'm part of my, my, my type three, like makeup is that I feel like my worthiness and my love, like my, my worthiness of being loved comes from if I'm providing and working. So like, mm-hmm. if I'm not doing that all the time, I don't feel, I feel like, um, I don't have any value. <laughs> Guys, I just want to say real quick that I, I love you both. Okay. And you're both, you're both really awesome at what you do and you shouldn't be so hard on yourselves. That's really sad. Like, you know, if you, if you hated yourself or you were upset with yourself at night because you didn't write all your words or do whatever like that's you know like you're worth more than that you know you both are worth more than the words you put on a page thank you I think I know that I think I know that like mentally I think it's it's almost like women are so hard on I think themselves. it's women I think it's also just yeah. being a woman you know I yeah. we all we feel like we have to be a great mother a great wife a great housekeeper a great mm-hmm. cook a great you know yeah. good at our jobs and great friend, good friend. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. um yeah. and it's impossible for anybody yeah. to do it all like it you you might look like you're doing it all at some point or you might go through a period of time where you're handling all of it at the same time but no one can keep it up and it's like I do think that men don't feel that pressure you know it's almost it's it's so yeah. funny when we have a family get together the women get together and immediately start making excuses for themselves like why they don't look great like why they haven't been keeping in touch it's like yeah. everybody has to sit around and like apologize for themselves before they can actually start enjoying themselves. I hate that. And the men don't do it. They just sit down and start talking about football or whatever dumb shit thing they have to talk about. And it's like the women, meanwhile, just show up with this like uh, apology. It's like like an apology on your mouth. Like you're ready to give it as soon as you walk in. I never thought about that, but that's so true. It's so true. I hate it. And actually... I saw, cause my, so my da- my cousin's daughter is in college. It's her first year in college. And like, she was there the last time this happened. And I just remember thinking, God, this is such an unhealthy thing we're passing on to her. And yeah. so like, even though I didn't feel this way, I was like, I've been, I was like, I feel great. I look great. And I was just like, I love myself. I, I'm fine. And like, just so she wouldn't, you know, I just, just like take this bad habit and run with it and bring it to her friends and her family. And like, I, you know, so even though I wasn't really feeling that way, I just said it. (laughs) Yeah. I think if there's one thing that I would say to you both and something that I work on a lot is, is I get told from my therapist is like, give yourself grace. Like think of, think of the word grace when you're hard on yourself, because you would give, you would give grace to your daughter if, you know, she went to bed and she hadn't done everything she was supposed to do that day. You would tell her not to be hard on yourself, to to give yourself some room, you know, that don't punish yourself because you weren't perfect. You know, like give yourself that same grace because I feel like that's that's what we're not I don't think we get that enough as women. I'd be like, why didn't you get your crap done? What are you doing all day? <laughs> but do you feel like also there's a little bit of, it's not just, it's not just feeling shitty about yourself. It's also that don't you enjoy getting a lot of things done? Yes. Like there is some, I do, yes. I do a lot of enjoyment out of it. So it's that not. That actually. Yeah. 
it happened to me yesterday. I sat down at the bed at like 11 o'clock and I was like, I got a lot of shit done today. It just makes and me feel I was feel talking better. to my husband. Like, I was like, it feels like, good. It makes me, like having a glass of wine after I've got way, like, done, it's so satisfying. It's like a high. Yeah, but, high. but also, do you ever get that high when you were like, you know what? I took care of my mental health today. I took a break from work and I took an emotional day that was healthy. You don't praise yourself for making those choices. Why do you praise yourself for something that harms you long term? I don't know. I'm just bringing truth right now, guys. I'm sorry. I'm dropping knowledge. No, I mean, like, I see there's, like, I know there's <laughs> you a lot of value in, like, what, like. I'm shocked by this, or... honestly. Really? I, you don't like, know. I'm not, I'm, no, but I'm not shocked by it. No, but I know you guys work hard, and I just assume that you enjoy it. But the fact that you hate yourself when you don't do it is really <laughs> fucked up. I know, but I'm, like, disappointed I, I in myself. Fully. I fully acknowledge that. I think that it's something that really frustrates me that I have to like do all these things to be satisfied with myself and are you still sticking to your thing from last week like are you are you still do you still feel as you did last week after you took your test yeah do you still feel better about it yeah Yeah. so it's Mm -hmm. been like two weeks of sticking to it and it's like I haven't like it's like again it's not necessarily about um it really isn't about losing weight or something like that. Yeah, it's about yeah. like I actually haven't even weighed myself or anything like that. It's just I feel better after dinner. I feel better. Yeah, I just don't feel frustrated with myself, and it's just one little thing that's helping. But um, yeah, I've been yeah I've been managing to stick to it, and like I really just I think this having my feelings explained to me, like I said to you in a text, it's like yeah, it's almost yeah, been really going oh okay, well this makes sense. Like it's not just me being like scatterbrained or not understanding my the way I function like this is it it's in black and white and I can and I can navigate it now I just I just picked up my phone and I realized (laughs) do you know what mine says mine says don't let fear make your decisions mine says nobody cares work harder (laughs) yeah what are you afraid of well mine is uh, my favorite yeah like my favorite all-time quote is if it was easy everyone would do it the heart is what makes it great that's from a league of their own Mm-hmm. My favorite is I didn't come this far to only come this far. Who's that from? I don't know. I've seen it somewhere. I have I it. I love that. Same that sounds familiar too. Like it's from a famous, like something that I would have seen. I, I don't. I mean, well, yeah. So I'm, you're a seven. Let's talk about you. Okay. You're the enthusiast. So, so I had a, I had a couple of questions while taking this test because I took it four times because I had a hard time in, in, I, to be fair, I only took the one you sent twice and I took two separate ones before that and I was like I don't know if I'm taking the right one but I did get this number seven I think twice but um that got that one the most but one of the questions and I have it saved on here because I wanted to give an example it's one of the questions says I have been told that I am too blunt opinionated intimidating insensitive and domineering but deep inside I actually have a tender heart like I had a hard time with that question because I thought I've been told all of those things but I don't think I have a tender heart so I just put like a neutral answer. So there was a similar questions like that where it said, or similar statements where it said, I've been told I'm too blunt, too opinionated, too insensitive. And I fear that people will, won't like me. And I'm like, I don't fear that. I have a problem with doing that, but I don't fear that I do it. Like, I don't fear that people won't like me because odds are people usually end up thanking me later for being like, thanks for being honest with me. And if they don't thank me for it, fuck them. I was honest. So, but you do like it. That. You like you like when people like you, though. 
Yeah, everybody so likes when people like him, though. Yeah. Yeah, I don't fear people disliking me. I like when people like me. Yes, for sure. I don't want people not to like me. But I'm not afraid that you're not going to like me by me telling you the truth. So it was a couple of those those types of questions I got kind of tripped up on, which I think is why I got a different number a couple of times. Yeah. But I think I got the seven the most times when I took it. Yeah. So what your this, seven what's it says, say? um, it says uh, you love nights out with friends, trying new things and spontaneous plans. Um, you don't, please don't forget to include me, criticize my, me harshly or dismiss my pain. Yeah. I think criticism is a big one. I have a hard time with like, not that I, I feel like I can listen to criticism and take it, but it just, I feel like it really fucking tears me up when somebody gives me criticism. Like if, like if you were to, I, I don't know, if you were to criticize a book I wrote, I don't think that would bother me as much as someone criticizing the way I'm a mother or I'm a wife or because I feel like I work hard to do those things well. So to criticize that, I feel like would be a direct attack on, on who I am. So I feel like that's why I would take that so bad. But I mean, I feel like the rest of it's, I feel like that's a fair assessment, though. All right. So let's talk about uh, Midnight Sun. You're reading Midnight <laughs> Sun. Um, yeah. and As of right now. So for you, those of you who don't know, this is Edward's POV, uh, Edward's POV mm-hmm. book that Stephanie Meyer wrote like way back when, but mm-hmm. um, hasn't released it until this week. And yeah, so it's so is it just the first book in, in his point of view? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, okay, Twilight so it's Twilight from Edward's okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so um, so I'm reading it, and it's 658 pages. She Good in Lord. its small wording, it she is thick, three C's thick. <laughs> and so um, but I started reading it. I think I'm on chapter six, and I won't give any spoilers and stuff because I I was really adamant about nobody doing that in the headquarters group. About I was like, I'll burn the internet down. I don't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> so. Because I feel like there are things that are, even the first couple of chapters that I read, I feel like there's something I was like, that wasn't in there before. I would have remembered that. That wasn't in there. And so I read something. I actually text Jill because I know she's read it and she's crazy about Twilight too. And I was like, was this in there before? And she was like, I don't think so. I'm only halfway through and I'm going to look it up when I'm done. I was like, okay. I was like, because I'm not crazy. And she was like, that felt new to me too. I was like, all right. Yeah. Jill has so, a Cullen Press tattoo on her. I love her, her so much. Yeah, she, I love that. She was one of the original That type Twilight of fandom moms. is awesome. She what? She was like the Twilight, she was like the tw- a Twilight mom, you know, like she did, oh, yeah. she was like an, a blogger, like she, that's what got her into mm-hmm. blogging was Twilight. Yeah. And, yeah. Well, I used to follow a blog called Twihard, and it was like my favorite thing in the world. And when I worked at the bank, I was telling somebody this the other day, this was like 12 years ago, like Kevin and I had just, I mean, we weren't even married yet, I don't think. And I had a desk job in accounting, in an accounting department, and I like he uh, downloaded the audiobooks onto an iPod because this was before smartphones. But I would go on there and our um, our corporate offices, they had those websites blocked, but you could go and like hit the cache version, you know, on Google, you could hit that button and it would come up. And so I would sit there and just scroll like for hours. Yep. That bank paid me so much money to Google Twilight. <laughs> <laughs> 
I, I look. I read those books back to back, and they were sitting oh in my God. lap while I was pretending to work. And I yep. finished one, I would get up immediately and take a break. Yep. I'd go to Barnes and Noble, get the next one. Like, mm-hmm. I was sick. Like I was sick. I oh, was. I had all of them at work with me, and like on my lunch break, I would just like take one book, like take one down, pass it around. And as soon as I finished the first one, I, the last book, I'd go Start back to back the first over. one. It was just a cycle. I mean, I've probably read all of those books. I mean, if I gave like a fair you know, estimate. I've probably read them all probably 15 times. I would say that's a low estimate. Yeah. And then they're all like 600 pages plus. But there's such an easy read because once you get into Bella's, like you get into her rhythm and the way she Mm -hmm. thinks, it just, you don't, you're not, you're not even reading. You're just like, I'm telling you, so I'm, I'm six chapters in right now. And I'm just like, like I'm back. I'm back. Okay. I'm so scared. Okay. So is it the voice you expected from Edward? Mm -hmm. He is, I'll say this, and like, this won't give any spoilers or anything away. He is so angry. Like the first couple of chapters, he's so angry at her. He hates her because it's her fault that her blood smells so good. It's her fault. And like, he, like, he thinks, but he's like, it's her fault that I want to kill her. It's her fault that I'm about to disrupt my whole family, that we're going to have to move. And I hate her. <sighs> and this is like the day she walked in the town was the worst day of my life. And then he's like, you know, I had to fight this with myself. And he's just, he's so angry. And I love an angry hero. <laughs> I knew you were going to She does. She loves when they're stomping around. We just started another book. He's like throwing shit. <laughs> yep. I know. Mel and I started this book the other, or last week or whatever. It's this um, cowboy book and it's coming out in October, I think. But we're doing it. And I was like, I told her before we started, I was like, oh, he's going to be pissed. <laughs> I was like, I just want you to know, Mel, I'm going in hot with this guy. That's like, not cowboy. Is. No, that's like yeah. double. That's a double down. I was like, sure. he is like, he's a virgin. He's never like, I was like, he's never kissed a woman. Woman. he's never even thought about women until she shows up and she has ruined everything <laughs> and he is mad and so like i'm having so much fun writing him because she's just like she's kind of sassy and fun and and he's just angry but that's how but midnight sun like i was so surprised when i was reading because i don't remember him being that way in the chapters when i i mean i read that i only read the that those release chapters a couple of times um and I don't remember, like, him being so so just upset, like, so angry at her. Like, blaming her, like, mad at her, like, his snide comments. And he's like, her eyes aren't even that pretty, you know, for, for like, chocolate brown with gold specks <laughs> and hints of green. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. It's so funny. I'm dying as I'm reading it. And he's like, she's just plain and ordinary. And he keeps calling her, like, the girl, the girl. And he was like, why do I keep calling her the girl? Like, she's the only girl in the world. <laughs> oh, my God. So now good. I really want to read it. I just, like, oh really need God. to get to that headspace. Um, it I'm took excited, me to – I carried it around the house with me for two days. <laughs> like, I, I shit you not, hand to God, I would move he, it from room to room. Is he, like, super obsessed with her the whole time? I've never the read or second, seen the movies. Because, so, he's in the – so, when they meet originally, he's in the cafeteria and he's sitting down and he sees her. But, you know, he can hear people's thoughts. That's, like, his gift. Not every vampire can do that. So, it's his special gift. And so, he's trying – he hears everybody talking about this new girl in their head. And he's like, fuck a duck, you know? So anyways, so he sees her and he's like, I can't hear what she's thinking. That's weird. He's like, well, she's plain. She's ordinary, whatever. Like he doesn't really like give it a second thought, you know, or he's like, you know, I just wish everybody would shut up about it. Like, 
you know, whoever. And so he goes into the biology class and he's sitting at the table and she comes in and he's like, oh, there's a new girl or whatever. And so like the wind, he was like, and then he gets upset because he can't read her mind. He was like, she's closer and I still can't read. Like, what the fuck is wrong? Why can't I read your thoughts? And he kind of gets like really irritated with her in the beginning. And then she walks in front of a fan or like the air comes on and it blows her scent. And he's like, he does like that. Like he basically grabs the desk and tries to keep from ripping it in half because her, the scent of her blood is like a shot of heroin to him. And he's like, he has to hold his breath the rest of the class because he can't breathe her in because, and he thinks the whole time he's in there, he's in there for an hour and the whole hour he spends thinking about how he can lure her away and kill her and how he can like, or how he's going to kill everybody in the room just to have her. He was like, I'll kill 16 people. I don't give a shit. Like he's just, that's what he's thinking about is that he'll kill everybody in the room. He was like, but if I did that, she'd probably scream and her blood wouldn't taste as good. And he's like, he's (laughs) thinking it through, you know? And it's this whole time, he's just, like, he's obsessed. And then, so he leaves, and he runs to, like, Alaska to stay with his family up there to try to get away from her. And can't stop thinking about her. And he's, like, I knew the second I got here I was going to go back. I can't I can't be away from her. I have to be near her. And then, so he goes back. And he's so pissed off at her when he's there because he's mad that her blood smells so good. And he can't read her thoughts. And he was, like, why is she so special? Like, he's just stomping. And he's mad. And his family's mad at him. And he's angry and then he's like and his sister can see the future and so she can see like what's going to happen and she's like I need you to not kill her because she's going to be my best friend and he was like what the fuck and she's like yeah she's going to be my best friend you can't kill her I love her like when I meet her I'm going to love her and we're going to be best friends and he's like she's like oh yeah and you're going to love her too and he's like wait what and he's she's like yeah that's gonna happen you're either gonna you're either gonna kill her or you're gonna turn her into a vampire and you can't kill her because i love her so and he's (laughs) like what the fuck and so then like he tries to resist this and he's like well alice said it's gonna happen so i might as well just give in and then he's mad he has to give in you know but then he's just he's so obsessed with her he's so like everything she does he was like why does she turn her hair that way why does she twirl it around her finger i can't read her thoughts what's she thinking you know what does she feel he's obsessed like that then she's feel like, like his only conversation is like a dream come true <laughs> no, like, it, it, it sounds really good it's really good it's but you know the thing is is like these are kind of like the mariana zapata books where slow burn you know they you're going to be in it for 600 pages like it's a long read but it's the story is so well developed by the end of it you're so into it that it's like it's like you're a part of their lives now you know they're a part of your lives but I really I carried that book the day it came in the mail I carried it I carried it to the living room carried it to upstairs with me back downstairs all around the house and I started and I read one chapter not last night but the night before I read one chapter before I went to bed and I was like we're in it we're back in and so I waited until I went to bed early last night so I could read before bed and then I read this morning you know when I got up really early so awesome so next week you'll have the full report for us Yes, I'll definitely. Well, I'm going to read some this weekend. It's such a long book, but I hope if anything, we've convinced Mel to give it a try. At least the audio. The narrator, can I just can I just read this one? Yeah, yeah, for sure. You can just read this book and it will end in a place that like it. I would, I would be okay. <laughs> I don't know. I would be okay stopping after the first book. Like if that was all I, if that was all you want, if you didn't want to know what else happened with other stuff, you could stop. So if you, if you're listening and you've never read Twilight and that's not your thing, that's totally cool. You know, it doesn't have to be. I would suggest the audiobook. It's 26 hours. 
But Whoa. the narrator is so good. And he's got such a great, like, soothing, deep voice, like, really sexy. And I so, might do that. yeah, it's, it's the narration's awesome. But, I've been um, like, I think I did five audiobooks over the past seven days. Oh, we'll talk about them on Friday then. Let's do that. Yeah, I've got a book to talk about too. I audiobooked things I've already read though. That's okay. That's all, all right. right. We'll talk about them. All right, so let's go ahead and play the first installment of The Seven Year Itch by Tessa Bailey. And when we come back, I'll tell you. Uh, what I'm giving away and what's free right now. There's a free book out there right now floating around. I like it. All right. So we'll see you on the other side. Bye. 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 This is The Seven Year Itch by Tessa Bailey, read for you by Ramona Master. Chapter One. What better way to spend Halloween than in my own personal hell? Drew Turner adjusted the mask of his Lone Ranger costume and sighed as he skirted past two full-grown adults, both dressed as Harry Potter. At least with adults in attendance, he would blend in. When he'd found the invitation in his younger sister Shannon's backpack, he'd been worried over how he'd managed to remain incognito at a costume ball full of college students. Students even older than Shannon's typical crowd. One problem down. One rebellious, angst-ridden 18-year-old problem to go. He pushed aside a severed hand hanging from the ceiling and moved along the edge of the massive hall, wondering how he could ever possibly keep an eye on Shannon when he could barely make out a single face in the darkness. Strategically placed candelabras gave him just enough light to navigate the crowd. Casting flickering shadows onto the walls, they gave the room the desired spooky effect, Drew supposed. As a New York City homicide cop, however, it took a little more than mood lighting to unnerve him. Out of the corner of his eye, he glimpsed a giant white rabbit dancing with a pimp. And, all right, that was a little unnerving. His mouth curled up into a smile under his mask, wondering what his best friend Jamie would say if she was standing next to him at that moment. Pimps need lovin' too, Drew. Or maybe, you think he pays her in carrots? Damn, he wished Jamie was here to make this bearable. He hadn't confided his plan in her because, one, she thought his overprotective nature towards Shannon only caused his sister to rebel more. Two, she would never let him live down this itchy, drugstore-bought Lone Ranger costume. At the thought of his best friend, a familiar, heavy feeling permeated his chest, but he quickly set it aside. Up until the last second, he'd been prepared to trust his wayward sibling. She turned 18 a month ago, after all, and he needed to let go sometime. It just wouldn't be happening tonight. Not after watching her leave the apartment with a purple-haired girl sporting more piercings than should be legal. Shannon had a penchant for starting trouble, whether it was being expelled for organizing a keg party on the roof of her high school before first period, or getting arrested for swimming naked in Central Park. Drew spent an obscene amount of time talking people into giving her second chances, or third and fourth chances, as the case could often be. Just this once, he wanted to save himself a little time and trouble by putting the kibosh on whatever stunt she had planned tonight before it happened. 
Drew dreaded the moment, if it came, when she realized he'd been tracking her. He'd lose a little more of her, just like he did every time he had to bail her out of a sticky situation. She'd resent his intrusion and rail at him that she could take care of herself, that she didn't need a replacement father. Stopping at a table laden with candy apples, Drew backburnered the heavy thoughts and scanned the room for Shannon. He'd found her costume's plastic packaging stuffed into the bottom of their kitchen trash can yesterday. Unless she'd changed her mind sometime today, she should be dressed as Wonder Woman. A group of five laughing girls passed him then, and he cast a long-suffering look toward the ceiling. Two out of five were dressed like Wonder Woman. This was gonna be a long-ass night. Around him, costume guests danced and laughed, cocktails in hand. They were likely close to his age of 27, possibly even older. He couldn't recall the last time he'd been to a party, one that he'd been invited to, at least. Between work and making damn sure Shannon graduated high school, he didn't have a lot of time left over for a social life. He loved his sister, though. Given the chance, he wouldn't trade the life they'd managed to scrape together after the tragedy seven years ago. Difficult as their relationship could often be. Someday, maybe he'd carve out time to go out with work friends or attend parties. But right now, he had his hands full. Besides, he had Jamie. He'd always have Jamie. Still, every once in a while, he felt a restlessness within himself as if he was missing something important that couldn't be explained or pinned down. When the dreaded feeling came upon him, the one that told him the very thing missing was right in front of him, he did his best to ignore it. The women he occasionally dated never seemed to fill the void, and they usually parted ways after a few dates, or perhaps a round of mutually satisfying sex. Yet the restless feeling remained, and nothing he did seemed to fulfill it. Drew suspected a certain tiny auburn-haired museum curator would cure him. It was the unthinkable loss that would come afterward that kept him from grabbing sweet relief with both hands. God, sometimes he thought it might be worth the risk. But Jamie would unwittingly find a way to remind him what a fixture she'd become in his life. And the fear of screwing up their unique friendship would rise up and choke him. A group of guests he'd been watching broke out into raucous laughter, and suddenly he felt like an imposter. A 27-year-old man sneaking around after his sister like an overbearing parent, while everyone around him enjoyed themselves, lived their lives. He felt guilty admitting it even to himself, but just once, he'd love a night free of responsibility. A night where he didn't have to consider the consequences of drinking too much, or worrying over the example he was setting for Shannon. His problems would cease to exist just for a short while, and he could finally act his age. A waiter passed him then, holding a tray of green martinis garnished with floating eyeballs instead of olives. Without thinking, he reached out and grabbed one, grateful when the waiter shrugged and kept on walking. Before he could come to his senses, Drew downed the entire drink in one gulp, the liquid burned a path through his sternum as he set the empty glass down on a table. It felt amazing. Apart from the occasional beer, he didn't drink. After all, Shannon drank enough for the both of them. 
His one act of rebellion, small as it was, only made him want another. Not of the liquid variety, something else. He hadn't quite put his finger on it when he saw her. Dressed as a gypsy, she moved through the crowd, looking just as alone as he felt. The top half of her face was covered by a deep purple mask, her face framed by long, dark hair. He couldn't make out the exact shade in the darkness, but it suited her costume perfectly, making her look authentically old world, from a different time and place. As Drew's gaze dropped to take in the rest of her, the muscles in his lower belly tightened with hunger. A black corset pushed up her high, round breasts, then flared down over the slight curves of her hips. Curves that struck him as familiar. Too familiar. Curves just like, no, don't think about Jamie. Long, beautifully shaped legs were revealed by a short gold skirt, too short. With a flash of annoyance, he watched a group of men she passed turn to ogle her from behind, tipping their drinks back and high-fiving. She didn't seem to notice or care, however, her head turning side to side as she searched for someone. A boyfriend? He hoped not. Because he'd just glimpsed his next act of rebellion. Jamie Bell didn't do parties. After a disastrous experience in middle school that involved a game of spin the bottle, a sparkly pink retainer, and a trip to the emergency room, she'd sworn them off for life. Tonight, however, she'd made an exception. Drew needed her. He just didn't know it. She'd overheard Shannon outside their apartment building yesterday making plans for tonight's Halloween costume party on her cell phone. As she'd been eavesdropping from her third-story window, she'd only been able to make out the phrases, it's gonna be epic, and can't wait to see everyone's faces. An hour later, Jamie had gone out and bought a costume, an overpriced, historically inaccurate costume, to be precise. When she'd gotten home and opened the packaging, she'd first been shocked to find how very little she'd gotten for her money. Honestly, she should have just tied a scarf around her waist and called it a day. Second, as a junior curator at the Metropolitan Museum of Art, she had an inkling that real gypsies hadn't had access to polyester. Jamie reached up and tucked her thick auburn hair more firmly underneath the black wig. She'd been forced to purchase it knowing her hair was incredibly noticeable. As someone who didn't like to stand out, would much prefer to remain in the background. She'd detested it since a young age. Unfortunately, the wig made her feel twice as conspicuous. Normally, she didn't encourage this type of sneaky behavior. But since Shannon's 18th birthday a month ago, she'd watched Drew grow more stressed out by the day. His sister had ratcheted up her usual misadventures into overdrive, and he'd been forced to work twice as hard to lessen the fallout. That was one reason for his stress anyway. Jamie suspected he knew Shannon would be leaving soon, going out into the world on her own, and it scared him. That was the real reason for his recent anxiety. What else could it be? With that in mind, she'd decided to give Drew the night off and trail Shannon herself. Because truthfully, she loved Drew's little sister and wanted her to succeed as much as he did. When Drew and Shannon Turner moved in next door to Jamie seven years ago, 
She'd been struck by their odd arrangement. He'd been so young, 20 at the time. Much too young to care for a preteen without assistance. To be fair, she'd been rather young herself to live on her own. But after graduating high school and then college early, she'd been offered a coveted internship at the Met and moved to New York. Up until the day the Turners moved in next door, her life had consisted of work and studying. Drew and Shannon changed that with a quickness. He'd been in over his head. She'd watched as he raced Shannon out the door every morning to school in his police academy uniform, then ushered her back home later in the afternoon. Then he'd be off again for more training, tension evident in every line of his body. One night, as Jamie was watering her flowers on the windowsill, she'd been startled to find Shannon sitting on the fire escape next door, staring forlornly out at the city. They'd talked for hours that night, Jamie eventually finding out that after a boating accident that killed their parents, Drew had been forced to leave Syracuse University and return home to care for Shannon. As often as she could, Jamie tried to find little ways to ease the pressure on Drew. She started taking Shannon to school, dropping off leftovers when she'd accidentally cooked too much food for one person, keeping Shannon company when Drew had to work late. Somewhere along the line, they'd become an oddly functional family, one that worked behind the scenes to ease each other's burdens without ever having to discuss it or thank one another. It worked for them, mostly. Somewhere along the line, she couldn't recall precisely when, she'd fallen flat on her face in love with Drew. It might have been the night she found out about his sacrifice for Shannon, before they'd even spoken a word. Or it might have been a slower, more gradual fall. She simply knew that one morning, she'd walked next door for coffee, as she did every day. He'd smiled at her, handed her a piece of her favorite cinnamon toast, and she'd known. Unfortunately, Drew didn't see her, not like she saw him. If he did love her, it was as his best friend. And because she couldn't imagine her life without Drew, she didn't rock the boat. She kept the relentless, twisty ache buried deep inside where he'd never have to encounter it. Jamie swallowed heavily and mentally shook herself. She'd come out tonight for a reason. A brooding gypsy in polyester would definitely draw attention, and that is exactly what she wanted to avoid. Once again, she squinted into the darkness and scanned the room for Shannon in her Wonder Woman costume, but didn't see anyone that resembled Shannon, tall and brunette, although currently sporting bleached blonde hair. Someone stopped in front of Jamie, blocking her view of the dance floor. With a small frown, she started to move around him. When the stranger's scent hit her, she froze in her tracks, spicy mint. Her eyes traveled up until her head tilted back, only requiring a quick peek at the strong jaw and lips visible beneath his black mask to confirm what she already knew. Drew. Jamie's gaze shot back down to the floor. Does he know it's me? If so, why isn't he saying anything? Oh my God. He is doing serious justice to the cowboy look. He tipped her chin up with his fingers and leaned down to speak next to her ear. Jamie's entire body went on alert, stomach tingling, skin heating. 
Drew never touched her like this. There was only one explanation. He had no idea it was her beneath the mask. Dance with me. Chapter 2 Drew led the gypsy onto the dance floor just as the music changed, slowed. When he'd asked her to dance, she'd merely nodded, and they hadn't spoken while passing side by side through the crowd. No name exchanging or divulging of their respective professions. Just a simple nod, as though she understood exactly what he wanted from this exchange and wanted the same thing. He wasn't a callous man. He treated women respectfully, and the beautiful gypsy next to him would be no exception. But something about tonight felt different. He didn't want to abide by his usual rules. Hot, sweaty, no-holds-barred sex. That's what he needed. For once, Drew allowed himself to be honest with himself. He needed to get the thought of Jamie, of what it would be like to indulge his insane need, out of his system. For what felt like years, he'd been trying to burn the unwanted attraction from his mind, hoping to find it with women who paled in comparison. Would he find it with the gypsy? He prayed like hell he would. The nonstop fantasizing and desire for his best friend was starting to take its toll. He just needed an encounter that didn't leave him feeling unfulfilled for once. Tomorrow, he might look back and wonder if an alien life form had briefly inhabited his body, controlling him from a little command center located in his brain. He'd worry about his out-of-character behavior then. Right now, he didn't have any plans beyond getting this girl alone. She'd moved into his arms hesitantly, one hand trailing up his bicep to rest atop his shoulder. Her hands were sensual graceful. Without allowing himself to think, he leaned down and kissed her fingers, letting his lips linger for longer than necessary. He watched in satisfaction as her mouth parted on a breath, and she moved closer, fitting her small frame to his, as if to encourage him. Something about the darkness, about having his face hidden even further by a mask, loosened Drew's restraint. Right now, he wasn't Drew the responsible big brother or Drew the homicide cop. He was just a man who needed a woman, a woman who might need him back. Again, he sensed the loneliness in her he'd glimpsed before, one he recognized in himself. Were they looking for the same thing? God, he hoped so. The connection, real or imagined, only made him want her more. It felt so natural to circle an arm around her waist and lift her body just a little higher against him. He groaned as her breasts swelled at the top of the corset and met his chest. At the base of her spine, his fist curled into the material of her skirt. Lust flooded his system, more powerful for having been allowed to build up for too long. It demanded release and not in his usual way. He wanted to fuck. It startled him a little, the intensity driving the thought. He needed to make sure she wanted the same thing before he moved any further, before he did something to offend her. Despite how he felt, despite the odd familiarity he felt for the girl, he didn't know her. He needed to remember that. Slowly, Drew slipped his hand up her back to massage her neck. His thumb traced a pattern beneath her ear, and her head fell to the side, 
silently asking him to continue. Her lips were plump, parted. Kissing her was suddenly all he could think about, as though guessing the direction of his thoughts. Her head straightened. He sensed rather than saw her gaze land on his mouth, but there wasn't enough lighting for him to tell for sure. Can I, please? Drew asked, hardly recognizing his own voice. Her chest rose and fell in a shudder. She nodded. When his mouth descended toward hers, just before their lips touched, Drew heard her moan huskily, and that small sound drove him a little wild. As though a floodgate had opened inside him, he held nothing back. With a thumb on her chin, he urged her lips wide and sunk his tongue into her mouth, licking against hers in a single long stroke. She fell forward into him as though her legs had given out. Drew, too focused on the kiss, could do nothing but tighten his arms around her waist and yank her back for more. He slanted his mouth over hers, letting himself drown in her taste, then pulled back to tease her by rubbing their damp, swollen lips together. When he sunk his teeth into her bottom lip and tugged, she rose onto her toes and demanded without words that he stop his torture and deepen the kiss once more. As he obliged the silent request, her lithe, sexy body began moving against him, hips brushing back and forth over his stiff arousal, thighs scraping, breasts pressing into his chest. Drew broke the kiss and spoke urgently near her ear. I'm gonna give you a very detailed explanation of what I want, what I need, if you need it too. And God, I hope like hell you do. Just follow me. Do you understand? After a split-second hesitation, she nodded, still choosing not to speak. For the first time, he wondered what her voice would sound like, but quickly discarded the thought. He needed to keep this impersonal. If he assigned her a voice, a name, he wouldn't be able to follow through on this sudden, overwhelming impulse. He'd feel obligated to offer her more than sex, and right now, he didn't want to think about his obligations. What he needed was to relieve this pressure that had built so high inside him, he felt like a caged animal. He would put Jamie out of his mind for a few blessed minutes, then go home and find her curled up with a book where she belonged, none the wiser. Unaware that he'd imagined her in his arms as he took someone else. Good. He traced her ear with his tongue. Then let me tell you what I need. I need us to find an empty room somewhere in this building, somewhere very close to where we're standing now. I need to unlace that corset and let those sweet little tits out. And then I need to suck your nipples until you're about to come. I want them wet and bouncing when I lift that tiny skirt up to your waist and pound myself into you until you tighten up and scream at me to take you over the edge. Drew stepped back, watching her process his words, hoping like crazy he hadn't scared her off. She stood very still, her shuddering chest providing the only movement. He could tell he'd shocked her. With an iron will, he forced himself to turn and walk toward the darker, more deserted corner of the giant hall. He'd only taken two steps when he felt her hand slip inside his. Without pausing in his stride, he laced their fingers together and smiled.
Holy shit! Had she entered the twilight zone? Drew, her sweet, thoughtful Drew, had a mouth like a mechanic. A mechanic who moonlighted as a sailor. She'd been shocked at how forward he'd been just dancing with her. Then he'd gone and turned her body into a desperate, quivering mass of hormones with his filthy speech. And now she couldn't think of anything beyond climbing up his big, muscular body and begging him to act it out. Jamie managed to drag her gaze away from Drew's back to look around. She had no idea where they were going, but at that moment, she would have followed him anywhere. Until tonight, she'd honestly believed she knew everything about Drew Turner. How, when watching a movie, he always looked away from the screen during medical procedures. How he never sneezed less than three times in a row. The way he stashed Girl Scout cookies around his apartment and thought no one knew his secret. Apparently, Drew possessed a whole dark, gritty side she'd been unaware of. She wanted, needed to know more. This is wrong. The thought came out of nowhere. Thanks to the costumes and haunting ambiance of the hall, she'd been pretending the whole night was simply one of her many Drew fantasies. A slightly more vivid one, but a dream nonetheless. It wasn't a dream, however and she was about to deceive her best friend in a truly despicable way. Could she let him think he'd engaged in a harmless encounter with a stranger? If Drew discovered her identity, he would react with horror at having stooped his best pal. She shouldn't follow through. She should loosen her grip on his hand and sprint for the nearest exit. Jamie kept right on following him. Couldn't she have this one night? He would never know, never realize the identity of the girl dressed as a gypsy. But her? She could live off this night for a long time. Replay it in her mind whenever Drew planted one of his platonic kisses on her forehead and left for work. Whenever he went out on a date, while she stayed home with her books and a bowl of rainbow sherbet, secretly hoping the date went terribly. Despising the idea of someone getting to know the Drew she knew better than herself wondering how he acted with someone he actually wanted. She was already in love with him. Sex wouldn't change that or cure her of those feelings. So why not surrender to the urge? It would be so glorious not to pretend, to kiss him and touch him the way she craved without fearing his rejection. They entered a dark hallway and Drew came to a stop outside a closed door. He tested the knob and found it unlocked. After casting a quick glance over her head to determine no one had seen them, he pulled her inside. Chairs and tables were stacked around the carpeted room, telling Jamie they'd stumbled upon some type of storage space. A small frosted window was located toward the ceiling, letting in a small amount of light provided by a street lamp. As the door clicked shut, Jamie stopped thinking, could only maintain enough awareness for Drew as he came up behind her. He found her corset strings with his fingers and began unlacing the leather, all the while kissing her neck, biting the sensitive skin, licking it afterward in apology. A contradiction, just like Drew, apparently. Within seconds, their choppy breaths echoed in the space. Anticipation coursed through her like a living thing as his hands finally found her naked breasts. They both groaned at the contact but Jamie's turned into a whimper 
when he pinched her nipples, as if to remind her what they were about to do wouldn't be slow or sweet. I told you what I need, he rasped, palming her breasts. What do you need? Jimmy couldn't chance him recognizing her voice. She would have to show him what she needed instead. Gathering every ounce of confidence she possessed, which had been made temporarily stronger by the darkness, she slipped a hand up behind her, where his hips pressed into her bottom rhythmically. When her hand brushed over his straining erection, Drew made a satisfied noise and pushed closer to trap her hand. You need my cock inside you. Is that what you're trying to tell me? Yes, she whispered, shaken once again by the way he spoke to her. Show me then, if you want my cock so bad. Use your hand to show me how much. She heard his zipper being pulled down, and her breath caught. Reach inside and grip me. Jamie wet her lips. Knowing this was the point of no return, she placed her hands on his ridged stomach and slowly slipped it inside his pants, wrapping her fingers around him firmly. Warm, rapid breaths fanned her ear, encouraging her. Stroke me up and down. Imagine me inside you, fucking you hard. Because that's how it's gonna be. Her head fell back against his chest as she obeyed his directions. Warmth licked up her thighs and settled heavily between them. His erection swelled in her hand as she worked his flesh up and down, faster, when he breathed the request. She needed him moving inside her now so bad, it felt like a vital part of her had gone missing. Enough for now, he growled, removing himself from her grip. He urged her forward until they came to a wall, then lifted her hands and placed them high on the brick surface. Drew's hands reached around to find her breasts once more, teasing her nipples with light strokes of his thumb before his fingers trailed down her belly and disappeared under her skirt. Deftly, he pushed aside the material of her panties and sunk two fingers inside her. She bit her lip to keep from crying out, but a shaky sound emerged nonetheless. He crooked his fingers and rotated in a move designed to drive her wild. At the same time, his erection pressed firmly against her bare bottom, tempting her to circle her hips, which she did shamelessly. His fingers slipped out to tease her sensitive nub, and her thighs automatically tensed around his skillful hand. Oh, fuck. I have to taste you here. You're already shaking like crazy on my fingers. I have to feel that hot little shake against my mouth. He moved quickly, kneeling between her and the wall. He ran his hands up her thighs, up to the skirt gathered around her waist, her underwear long since discarded on the floor. Keep your hands where they are. Then, his tongue found her, slipping in to torture her clitoris with rapid strokes that nearly buckled her knees. With a sound of hunger, he hooked his arm under her knee and lifted to give himself better access. Delicious, achy, insistent pressure built inside her so quickly that she didn't have time to prepare for the onslaught before it sent her flying, just barely stopping his name tearing from her lips as she shook and sobbed into the darkness. When she started to come down, his mouth on her breasts, sucking and lapping at her nipples prolonged it. Jimmy couldn't stop her hands from dropping off the wall and burying in his hair. 
His movements ceased abruptly. Please don't stop, she whispered. But he'd already gained his feet and moved behind her once more. Hands back up on the wall. Ignoring the tiny stab of hurt she felt over Drew rejecting her touch, Jamie did as he asked, flattening her palms against the cold surface. She wanted to feel him inside her too badly to stop now. A wrapper tore behind her, and she heard him rolling on a condom. Then, his hands were at her bottom, kneading her flesh. The first time I hear your voice, I want it calling my name. He thrust inside her hard, and Jamie stumbled forward with a cry, full, so full. My name is Drew. Repeat it. Drew, Jamie breathed shakily, emotion breaking free inside her at finally being able to say it. Drew. No, I don't want you to whisper it. He began to move, driving upward and into her with deep measured drives of his hips. We're not leaving this room until I make you scream it, baby. Tell me who's inside you. Jamie's chin dropped toward her chest as sensation assaulted her. She pushed back to meet each movement until the devastating pattern sent her toward another climax. It was so close. Drew increased his pace, one hand snaking around her hip to massage her clitoris, her mind numbed to anything but the pleasure just over the horizon. She felt his name bubble up in her throat. No, 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 don't say it. But God, she wanted to. That sexy little pussy has me so close, he growled in her ear. Wanna come so bad inside it. Say what I wanna hear. Let me hear you say it. Jamie's eyes went blind as another orgasm rolled through her. Drew pushed into her one final time, shouting a curse into her neck as she shook from the pleasure he'd given her. Unable to hold back, she opened her mouth to call his name. Drew! A fire alarm went off. Chapter Three Drew cursed as pancake batter glopped onto the floor as a result of his overzealous stirring. He tossed the metal bowl onto the counter dropping his forehead forward on a sigh. Standing alone in the empty kitchen, he accepted that his streak of shittiness was far from over. He paced from one end of the kitchen to the other, replaying last night in his head, disgusted with himself, wishing he'd done everything differently, even though he knew 2020 hindsight was useless. Roughly the same time the fire alarm had gone off at the party, one went off in his head just as loudly. As he'd looked down at the beautiful, lonely girl who he'd treated so impersonally, he'd thought, this isn't me, I'm not this man. He'd resolved to remove her mask, find out her name, apologize for his rough treatment of her body, get an explanation for the connection burning between them he couldn't seem to shake. Guilt had quickly crept in, adding to his shame. He'd thought of Jamie while thrusting inside the stranger imagining himself moving inside her beautiful body instead, hearing her pleasured cries ringing in his ears. It made him feel ill. Not the idea of sleeping with Jamie. He felt quite the opposite. But now, in the light of day, it felt as though he'd taken sweet, innocent Jamie, his best friend on the planet, 
in a dark closet before abandoning her. When the fire alarm had gone off, he'd known beyond a shadow of a doubt that his sister, Shannon, had something to do with it. He gently pulled the stranger's skirt down, kissed her shoulder, and begged her to wait for him. She'd nodded, once again refusing to speak. But by the time he'd gotten back to their dark, empty room, she'd gone. No wonder, since Shannon's latest adventure had consisted of her climbing a decorative trellis and holding a lighter underneath the hotel's emergency sprinkler system, thus causing an indoor rainstorm to shower the guests below. He'd ran back into the hall to find his sister soaked head to toe and dancing on a table, hoisting a bottle of Moe. Needless to say, quite some time had passed before he'd made his way back to the room. He hadn't been nearly as tough on Shannon as he should have. Most of his anger was directed at himself for his own thoughtless behavior. Had he been inflicted with temporary insanity last night? He couldn't think of any other explanation for what he'd done. Never had he treated a woman more like an object. And he would simply have to live with it because he had no way of finding her, no way to make up for it. It bothered him on more than one level. He wanted to be held accountable. But furthermore, he couldn't move past the feeling that he'd overlooked something. He'd wanted casual sex. But their encounter had felt the furthest thing from casual. Their chemistry had startled him. He'd finally felt the urges Jamie constantly stirred in him with someone else. For the first time in years, he saw a glimmer of hope. Hope that he could keep Jamie as a friend without acting on his impulses. Damn it, he wanted to find the stranger and beg for more. Just another taste. But she was forever lost to him. He could pass her on the street and never realize it thanks to the costume she'd been wearing. Even if they happened to meet again, she probably looked back on last night as a mistake. As the night she'd allowed some unidentified jerk to fuck her in a closet and walk away without so much as a thank you, let's do this again sometime. It killed him to know that. Shannon walked into the kitchen then, sleep mask pushed back on top of her head, dyed blonde hair sticking out around it. She raised her arms above her head and yawned, before dropping heavily into a seat. Drew watched her in silence, waiting for the inevitable sarcasm. She sent him a look of mock confusion. What? No applause? There it was. Drew turned back to the stove and poured pancake batter onto the pan. Sorry, I have no hands left to clap. They're too full making sure the hotel doesn't press charges. I did them a favor. That party was boring as shit. Not for everyone. Drew shook off the thought. You really topped yourself last night. After streaking through Washington Square Park in broad daylight two weeks ago, I didn't think that was possible. He sensed her smile. Never underestimate a Turner. Normally, this was where he would let the issue drop. Lecturing Shannon only seemed to make things worse, so he usually sucked it up and did whatever it took to squash the fallout from her latest fiasco and never mention it again. But thanks to last night, he'd surpassed his patience threshold and didn't feel like letting her off so easy. He realized most of the irritation wasn't even for her. But the events of last night were eating away at him, causing his usual calm to desert him. 
I can only assume you like watching me grovel on your behalf, Shan, he said, sliding a plate full of pancakes in front of her. Maybe you just think it's funny. Drew watched in surprise as Shannon's ever-present smirk vanished, her face falling. The fork she'd picked up dropped from her hand onto the plate with a clatter. I don't think it's funny. I, I don't think that at all, Drew. A lump formed in his throat at the surprised hurt in her voice. Well, I'm out of explanations then, he muttered, turning back to the stove, his already topped out guilt-o-meter pinging in his head. Drew could feel her staring a hole in his back. He'd gotten a reaction out of her, but now he only regretted his harsh words. What's going on with you this morning? He was saved from having to answer when his front door opened and Jamie walked in, carrying their coffee mug, of which they shared joint custody. As always, just having Jamie in the same room made him feel instantly better, despite the inconvenient but undeniable need she generated in him. She had a quiet, simple way of making him feel like everything would be all right. This morning, he couldn't quite meet her eyes, though. He didn't feel worthy of her comfort today. Good morning, Jamie said hesitantly, obviously sensing the tension in the room. She slid the mug onto the counter and leaned against it. Drew cast a quick smile in her direction. Then he did a double take. Why is your hair down? Jamie felt the flush already creeping up her neck accelerate across her skin. She'd completely underestimated what it would be like to see Drew in the light of day after what they'd done the night before. Of course, a day never went by that she didn't admire his six feet two inches worth of burly male. Now, however, she knew what he was capable of. What his body felt like plastered against hers. How his voice sounded in the dark. The way his blue eyes went smoky when aroused. He wore a plain white t-shirt this morning that displayed his arm muscles to perfection. His work pants slung low on his hips, hair still wet from his shower, the dark brown ends dripped onto the skin of his neck. With considerable effort, she dragged her gaze up to meet his curious one. What had been the question? Oh, right, her hair. She couldn't exactly tell him the truth. That he'd left visible red marks with his mouth? and none of her shirts hid them well enough. Any other day, it would be in a simple braid, ending in the center of her back. But she'd been forced to leave it loose around her shoulders this morning. In the end, Jamie decided on avoidance. She slid the mug closer. It's your morning with the mug. The first day she and Drew officially met seven years ago, Shannon had invited Jamie on a day trip to Coney Island with them. Drew started the day quiet and distracted, but by the end of it, he'd graduated to full sentences and even started laughing. They'd spent half the day in the giant boardwalk arcade, agreeing that at the end, they would combine their tickets and trade them in for the best prize. In the end, they'd settled on a giant coffee mug with a picture of Sasquatch on the front. Above it were the words, respect the Squatch. Every day since then, they traded off turns with the mug, it started as an excuse to hang out, without actually having to admit they enjoyed one another's company, but had transitioned into something comforting, a ritual they never deviated from, a constant. Drew gave a little shake of his head and half smiled. Did he miss me? 
Knowing what he wanted her to do, she deepened her voice. Squatch Miss Drew. Squatch Love Drew. Finally, the smile reached his eyes and Jamie relaxed a little. Without having to ask, she went to the cabinet and pulled out the tin of coffee. Over her shoulder, she glanced at Shannon, a little alarmed to find her staring down at her uneaten pancake. Drew gestured at her with the butter-coated spatula. No, the other cabinet. I picked up that hazelnut business you like. Oh, thanks, Jamie answered brightly, trying to mask the way her heart tugged at his thoughtfulness. That was her Drew. At least the one she'd known before the Halloween party. Just hours ago, he'd been an entirely different man. Rough, sexual, dominating. Knowing he had another layer only increased her attraction to him. Something she should have considered before following him into that room. She'd rationalized her decision, telling herself she could tuck away the experience and continue on as normal. And by normal, she meant devastatingly in love with a man who thought of her in friendly terms only. Now she wasn't so certain. It made her heart ache a little, standing so close to him pretending it didn't hurt that Drew didn't recognize her the second she walked in his door. Some repressed part of her must have been hoping for a flare of recognition. She'd even traded her usual slacks and loose work shirt for a wrap dress and boots, subconsciously hoping tighter-fitting clothes might help him piece it together, since last night's costume had left little to the imagination. Yet, nothing. So what did you guys do last night? She asked nonchalantly. Drew's shoulders tensed. He started to answer, but Shannon got there first. Went to some tired ass Halloween party, she said, not quite achieving her usual teasing tone. Hey, it wasn't a total bust though. I met some hot firefighters towards the end. Jamie kept her face carefully blank. Sure, Shannon had met some firefighters, after they'd been called to the scene. What about you? Jamie quickly turned to pour freshly brewed coffee into mugs. Oh, just worked late, the usual. Again, Drew turned to her with a frown. You didn't cut across the park, did you? I don't like you walking through there in the dark, Jamie. Again, her heart did a little tap dance. No, I, I cabbed it. He gestured for her to sit and set a pancake in front of her. I can tell when you're lying, you know. Next time you work late, call me, and I'll come pick you up. Promise me. Maybe you can get Doug to walk you, Jay, Shannon cut in, raising innocent eyebrows at Jamie. Giving the younger girl a suspicious look, she started to answer, but Drew cut her off. Who's Doug? Jamie's work husband. Drew crossed his arms over his chest. What the hell does that mean? He grimaced casting a look in Shannon's direction. Sorry, I mean, heck. What the heck does that mean? A hysterical laugh threatened to burst from Jamie's chest. The man who'd cursed a blue streak in her ear last night was censoring himself in front of his adult sister, who could probably swear them both under the table. Work husband, as in the dude who asks her if she needs anything from the deli, knows how she takes her coffee, Compliments her on her outfit, work husband, it's a thing. His brow wrinkled as he scrutinized her. Is that true? 
Jamie popped a bite of pancake into her mouth and shrugged so she wouldn't have to answer. Of course, Shannon was exaggerating. Mostly. Doug. Safe, down to earth, dry sense of humor, Doug. Had asked her out on several occasions, but she always turned him down, citing one excuse or another. Anything but the real reason. And speaking of outfits, Shannon continued, look at you all gussied up, you foxy biatch. Who knew you were hiding tits under all those layers? Shannon, Drew groaned, boundaries, please. Jamie grew warm when, despite his admonishment, Drew's gaze dropped to her chest, then immediately skated away. He looked deep in thought for a second, then pushed his chair back and stood. Just saying, they're like a nice full C cup. Shannon took a sip of coffee. Mine look like a basset hound's ears, just kind of dangling there, looking depressed. Jamie shook her head. No, I think they're lovely. Besides, basset hounds are very distinguished creatures. Shannon groaned. You just referred to my tits as distinguished? That might be a compliment if I lived in a retirement community in Florida. Uh, distinguished can also mean famous, celebrated, Jamie said quickly. The younger girl considered that a moment. They're more infamous, but I'll take it. Drew dropped his plate into the sink. Please, for the love of God, end this conversation. I need a palate cleanser, quick, something manly. Manly, manly. Shannon turned to Jamie. Is Doug manly? All right, I'm going to work. Drew snatched his duffel bag off the floor, which she knew contained his uniform, a peanut butter sandwich, and two apples. His standard fare when working a Sunday double shift. Drew loved his routines, and he always stuck with them. He leaned down and kissed Jamie on the forehead. She smiled in response, trying not to make it obvious when she inhaled his spicy mint scent. Sensing Shannon's mood dim now that Drew was leaving before they could resolve whatever issue still hung in the air, Jamie stood to clear the table and give them a moment. As she rinsed the dishes, she watched in the silver toaster as Drew dropped to his knees beside Shannon's chair and pulled her into a bear hug. Shannon looked startled, but finally returned the embrace, burying her face in his neck. Then he walked to the door, bag slung over his shoulder, and gave his usual parting line of, see my girl Slater, and left. As Jamie stared after him, tears brimming in her eyes, she realized something. If she continued like this, it would kill her. We're back. Hi. Hey. Okay, so I'm giving away a box, a mystery box, signed books and goodies. Um, so go to readmeromance.com to enter to win. I'll send you my address. Thanks. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, you can pre-order a, a paperback version, a paperback copy of Tools of Engagement right now, and you'll get a signed one. You'll get a signed copy when it goes live in September. So that link is, you can look at my profiles uh, on Instagram and stuff, but I'll put it in the show notes as well. Uh, it's through Word Bookstores. And Getaway Girl is free this week, like my favorite book that I've ever written. So I'm, yeah, it's uh, the mayor of Charleston and this girl who uh, is the black sheep of her family. And she kind of, she plays his getaway driver when he gets stood up at the altar. 
and they become best friends. It's just, it's really good. Like she, it would be a scandal if, if the town found out about them. So they have to yeah. keep it secret, but they're like basically roommates because uh, he can't get away from her. Can't stay away from her. So I love it. Yes. That's it. And we'll be back on Friday um, more. Go ahead, Mel. So we have a release out. Oh, shit. Oh. Nope. It was last. Wait, what's today's date? Yeah. Today. Is the 17th? Is that right? No. no today's the 10th. Oh, we had a release Recording out Friday. We had a release yeah. out Friday. Sorry. <laughs> I was thinking, I'm sorry. I don't know what day of the week it is. <laughs> um, yeah. So we have a release on coming up this Friday. It is called Stolen to Love. It's the third book in the Stolen series. It's Xander. Yeah. Do what? Stolen to Keep. No, Stolen to Keep releases this Friday. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Stolen to Love is the third book, and that's coming. Out. Oh shit! Sorry. Fuck. Okay. You're <laughs> Stolen to Keep just released on August seventh. Stolen to Love is the last book that's coming on the twenty first. Fuck. Sorry. Okay. So yeah. So this past Friday, <laughs> Stolen to Keep. So if you haven't gotten it, go get it. It's the second book in the Stolen trilogy. It's Vaughn's book. It's really fun. I loved writing him. He was. They were both so fun. So Vaughn and Berkeley, he's got to go hunt her down in London. So go get it. All right. We'll be back on Friday with more of Seven Year Itch. And uh, Leah, tell them what to do. Fuck your day up. Make today your bitch. Don't be a dick. Bye. Bye. Read me romance. Read, read me romance. Read me romance. Read, read me romance. You could take a look in a book. That's fine. Or you could sit back.